I'm going to tell you about the project and a lot about San Francisco. And by the end of this, you're going to feel like you've been completely buried by the New Deal. But in fact, actually, I'm only scratching the surface. And um, I've just seen the exhibition here for the first time. And actually, I haven't even got through it, but it's terrific. It's absolutely great. So um, I really recommend that that is sort of supplementary reading um, uh, homework assignment for you, that you have to do that. Okay, I'm going to tell you about the, the Living New Deal project. Um, and about a lot of stuff that got done in San Francisco and various other places as well, too. Um, we have to really learn from the last Great Depression because, in fact, um, we may be having another one pretty soon. So uh, thanks to our MBA president. But fortunately, the Great Depression was very well photo-documented, largely thanks to one of the New Deal programs, the Farm Securities Administration, which had a photo division, um, which actually turned some very good photographers into great photographers. Probably the best of them um, was a San Francisco and then Berkeley photographer, Dorothea Lang. Most of these are Dorothea Lang photographs, and those two over on the right are in San Francisco, in fact. These photographs give you some idea, some light idea, of just how appallingly bad the Great Depression was. But they're the best that we have, as well as some of the movies. Um, it's very difficult to imagine how bad it was, because we tend to look back um, through the... Um, the safety net, which was created by the New Deal, to try to make sure that such a thing would never happen again. And so it's very difficult, especially for young people, to understand a time when there was no social safety net, when, in fact, if you lost your job within a very short period of time, you lost your home, your food, everything. You were out on the street. You were drifting. In fact, your family broke up. Um, it was an appalling time. Um, one to which some people would like us to return. Now, here's the guy himself. Um, that's actually a uh, light bounce off of uh, Roosevelt there, FDR. But I like to think of it as his uh, main chakra, this kind of charisma that the guy had. And, of course, this is the first thing that he said when he came in on March 4th, 1933. He delivered that great inaugural address, probably one of the best. Uh, and he made this statement. Um, and he made it because uh, I didn't understand for a long time until I'd read quite a bit about the Depression. And the point I was making was just what I was telling you, that people were terrified um, because it seemed like the economy had no bottom. And when he came in, the banks were going down like dominoes. And there was no federal deposit insurance so that if the, your bank went down, you lost all of your savings. So imagine a time when we actually had a president who told us that we should be courageous rather than trafficked in fear to his own advantage. Um, there's been a long war on the New Deal right from the very beginning. It was when Roosevelt got started in 1933. In fact, almost immediately, the American elite began uh, kicking back against it when they began realizing uh, the lengths to which he was prepared to go. I think even at the, begin at the be beginning, even Roosevelt didn't understand how far he was going to go. Um, but the DuPont family of uh, Delaware, they own Delaware, um, and a number of others, the Mellons, etc., set up the American Liberty League. These are political cartoons separated by about 70 years. The American Liberty League took after the New Deal to try to stop it. Um, and they were very 
to some extent successful because they had almost unlimited amounts of money. But in fact, Roosevelt and the New Deal were so popular that they were not able to stop it. However, they never gave up and in the 1970s began financing right-wing think tanks uh, whose goal was to change the entire language, the way we think, in fact, um, to begin rolling back the New Deal. And to that extent, they've been largely successful, largely thanks to the University of Chicago Economics Department and notable frauds such as Milton Friedman. The idea of neoliberalism is, of course, that everything should be deregulated, privatized, and that there should be massive tax cuts, rather selective tax cuts. Um, Margaret Thatcher used to say there is no alternative so often that in Britain it just became known as Tina. People knew what you meant. There is no alternative. Of course, that's absurd. There is and there was an alternative, and they would prefer that we forget that. So... We have to connect the dots to understand what is going on today, and I do that by reading the Chronicle every day, which is a bit of a, an ordeal, but I do it for you. Um, and so what I've done is, is to uh, put together a kind of montage of the murder of the public sector, which is going on every day. While you sleep, it's going on. And in fact, all of the public sector is in very, very bad shape, as you probably know public libraries, public parks, from the municipal up to the national level. The, certainly our child care is among the worst in the world, public health. And this is the way we deal with things. We cut taxes and build prisons. Um, the New Deal dealt with things in a very different way. Predictably, this has effects. And when I was going to school, California schools, of course, were the best in the country. After Proposition 13, they started weakening, and now they are... Probably, they're among the worst. Um, with the new uh, budget cuts, they will probably become the worst. And, of course, my university is rapidly being privatized. As a matter of fact, all of the higher education is rapidly being privatized from community colleges through the UC system. How do you, in fact, run a modern state if you continue to have tax cuts or people refer, refuse to pay their taxes, well, we resort to ever more desperate expedients. Um, back last November, we were asked to vote um, a bond. Well, we were asked to vote uh, to make four Indian casinos in San Diego County pony up $9 billion to run the vital functions of the state. I thought this was a joke, but in fact... In uh, November, Californians voted to do it, and we haven't heard about that since. So now, of course, we're going to, the governor proposes to borrow against future lottery funds to run the state. And yet, poverty grows. So finally, to get back to the New Deal, the point is, how did they deal with these social problems when economics, uh, the, the economic conditions were far worse than anything that we can imagine today? Uh, this is from Larry Halperin's brilliant um, Roosevelt Memorial on the Tidal Basin in Washington, D.C. And it has these quotes from Roosevelt engraved on the walls. And this is from the section, the, the New Deal Room. And he said in one of his talks to the people, the test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much. It is whether we provide enough for those who have too little. It's a very different kind of philosophy than that to which we have become used. And that is, to a great degree, what the New Deal was about. Um, what I'm going to show you is a lost civilization. Um, it's a very strange place um, because we've largely forgotten it. 
And yet, um, it becomes oddly familiar after a while because, in fact, we built it. And we use it every day without knowing it. We've just been persuaded to forget about it so that it has been buried. The Living New Deal project is like an archaeological dig. And it, we're going after the New Deal in California, but eventually I hope to extend this around the United States. It started as a me project about almost four years ago. I thought that I and photographer Robert Dawson could, in fact, document the physical legacy of the New Deal. And I quickly found we were absolutely buried, overwhelmed by it. There's so much of it. And so it's gradually become a collaborative project, which is statewide and is being um, uh, sponsored by the California Historical Society and the Institute for uh, Research in Labor and Employment at Berkeley. And this is part of the team here, although it keeps growing all the time. Part of it is community involvement. Uh, we want people to become aware through their own research of what's around them. Because, as I'm going to tell you at the end, the, the records are just terrible, um, despite exhibitions like this one here. Uh, the guy up there on the upper left is Steve Cottrell, and he's somebody that I met over the Internet through mutual friend. He lives up in Nevada City. He's an amateur historian, and I told him what I was doing, and he was very conscientious so that when I went up there about a month and a half later, Steve had gone through all the local newspapers and had a stack of clippings or, or Xeroxes about that thick of what the New Deal had done around his area. And we spent a wonderful afternoon just walking around while he showed me sidewalks and bridges and parks and schools and gardens and camps and everything that had been done by the WPA. And he said, I didn't know this. Um, fortunately, then he became mayor of the town. And the last I heard, he was preparing a map of New Deal Nevada City, Grass Valley, which is exactly the kind of thing that we want. Uh, this is, um, or was, uh, the Living New Deal site uh, about a couple of months ago. And it's much denser now with Google information points. San Francisco County is the best documented of all the California counties. But we think that eventually all of California will look very much like what San Francisco looks like now. Because when you begin putting in the work that the Civilian Conservation Corps did, you find it's just everywhere. We're not just talking about the WPA. We're talking about a lot of different agencies, which I'll come back to. Roosevelt loved building things. He was the lord of the manor. Uh, his ancestral estate on the Hudson River at Hyde Park. And this is a post office mural done at that time at the Hyde Park post office. And it shows Roosevelt in his custom-designed convertible, uh, which he liked to drive around. And if you visited there, you know that essentially um, it can be, he, could, he could drive using the upper part of his body because he couldn't use the lower part of his body because of his paralysis. And so there he is pointing to the plans of the Hyde Park High School, which was going to be built by the WPA, but he had helped to design. He was quite a passable architect himself and designed a number of buildings uh, on his own estate and around there. Once he became president, he actually was able to build a lot more. And even though um, Henry Luce, who owned Time and Life magazine, was generally opposed to Roosevelt, he was honest enough to run a double-page spread in Life magazine showing how the entire United States had been transformed and modernized by New Deal projects. And this is, again, just scratching the surface. And it shows enormous projects built across the country. I couldn't get it all on my scanner. If it was in the West, you would see that essentially without the New Deal projects, the great 
Republican voting Sunbelt cities would not exist because they are the product of the great water and electrical projects built at that time. So, it's, as I say, it's not just the WPA. There were at least half a dozen agencies which have left physical remnants that we use all the time. And I'm just going to give you a primer on four of these. The whole purpose was to put men to work, but not just men, women and youth as well, too. Uh, there were agencies that covered all of these things. So the first is the Civilian Conservation Corps. This was Roosevelt's favorite. It was to redeem young men and the land at the same time, both of which had been ruined um, by a variety of things. This is one of the posters, and these are archival photographs, as most of the ones that you'll see, they're from the National Archives in Washington, D.C. So this shows the CCC boys who were indigent young men, Many of them had been riding the rails. They uh, were hobos. They were starving. Many of them were illiterate. They were uh, getting into trouble. And so here they are in one of the camps, which were essentially run by the army. And it was a, a sort of like a military organization. There were long barracks. Um, but they were out of the wilderness. And there was the exception that you could leave uh, when you wanted to. This was a civilian conservation corps. Um, and they were paid $30 a month of which $25 had to go back to their families. Very interesting. This is not trickle-down economics. This is shove money in at the bottom. And, in fact, it worked uh, because it began to um, float local economies all over the country. They did an enormous amount of work. It's not immediately evident. They planted three billion trees. Um, but how do you know? Because there aren't any plaques. I stood on a mountaintop in Georgia last spring and looked over into Alabama across a great forest of trees, all of which were about 70 years old because that had been exhausted cotton lands and they had planted a huge number of trees. Imagine the kind of wildlife uh, uh, retreat that that becomes. Uh, they took care of our forests. They, they built the roads into them. Um, they did an enormous amount of work, and when the war came along, they were ready to go off and fight because they were in great shape, although that was not what this was intended to do. There are a few statues around the country. This one is back in Georgia near that mountain. They built a lot of lodges and visitor centers. This is up at the Avenue of the Giants, and this is Big Basin. These buildings are just beautiful. And, of course, a lot of our landscapes are CCC, although we might not know that. This is Tilden Park and the Botanical Garden. It's almost all CCC or WPA, as we wouldn't have the East Bay Regional Parks had it not been for the CCC building the relief maps to persuade people to vote the bonds for that and then doing the work in them. The Civil Works Administration was short-lived. It was only about five months it was to get people through the winter of 1933-34 so that they would not starve and freeze the way that they had the previous winter under President Hoover. Um, and it was under the administration of a remarkable social worker um, from um, Iowa named Harry Hopkins. It was the forerunner of the WPA and kind of the experimental prototype for it. This is a page from a book on the CWA, and it shows kids getting hot lunches, women sewing, etc., a number of things. But the most important thing is it shows somebody getting a check, and that was immensely important. This was an emergency agency. It made a lot of mistakes, but it, it was because they had to put people to work right away, and they did. Within one month, Harry Hopkins put 
um, two million Americans to work doing everything. Within two months, he put four million Americans to work, and that included about 50,000 school teachers, many of whom were sent out to rural schools. Um, this is a CWA project. It's Men Building Slope Boulevard. That's um, Stern Grove behind it. And they're using wheelbarrows because they deliberately uh, downplayed the use of heavy machinery so that as many men as possible could get paychecks. And for that reason, many of these projects are very, very well built because they're really handmade. Um, there are almost no CWA plaques. There is one over in Berkeley that apparently was placed there by grateful Berkeleyans. This is in the tennis court at Cotonesis. Uh, park, and I was just showing a Montessori uh, school class around some of the projects there. Uh, this is a um, little amphitheater in John Hinkle Park. Some of you may, may have seen Cal Shakespeare there. They're now over in Orinda, but it's a wonderful amphitheater built by the CWA with smashed concrete from roads or, or sidewalks they tore up as they built new ones, and they just reused it uh, to create other things. Um, down in Menlo Park, there's a, a park, flood park, where they gouged out a swimming pool and they had all this adobe that they then turned into walls and buildings and a caretaker's house. So it was an economy of means. They didn't waste stuff. The WPA is much more famous. It was what came after the CWA and it did everything like the CWA had, but it's the more famous. It put eight and a half million people to work um, through its span. They built roads. They sewed clothes. They performed music. They did just about everything. They built many of the roads in San Francisco. They paved roads. They laid sidewalks. And every once in a while, you'll see a WPA stamp with a date. This one, I've seen them on sidewalks in San Francisco. This one happens to be on a retaining wall over in Crockett. The problem is that they're very seldom markers. Um, the WPA gets markers. CCC doesn't. CWA doesn't. PWA almost never. The WPA did put up a few markers, but not nearly uh, commensurate with what they were doing. That's one of the um, many restrooms out in Golden Gate Park and, he, and throughout San Francisco. You recognize the type. It's the only one that I've found that has a WPA plaque on it. The other ones don't. And that's a plaque carefully hidden at the Berkeley Rose Garden. The gardeners always prune the vine away so that if you look for it, you can actually have a chance of finding it. But it's pretty discreet. Here's one of the park at Montclair over in Oakland. Many people walk by that and... They have no idea, generally, that the buildings, the facilities that they're using are WPA. If I stop and talk to them, they frequently don't have never heard of the WPA or can't tell you what it is. But, in fact, they're using a facility that was built by that. Then, finally, the Public Works Administration lasted for nearly 10 years. It was in the Interior Department under Harold Ickes. It's not well known, but it should be because they gave grants and loans for large construction projects, the dams, the sewage projects, um, sewage treatment plants, water delivery systems, airports, etc. Um, as you might expect, Ickes and, and Hopkins, being very strong-willed individuals, frequently couldn't stand each other um, and were constantly battling, but they sometimes would work together as well, too. The purpose of the PWA was largely to kick the construction industry back into good health, especially by laying lots of concrete, which it certainly did. So a lot of our bridges, the upper right one is in uh, the Park Street Bridge to Alameda. Uh, that's the Alameda power uh, substation. They have public power. By the way, all of these agencies could only help public agencies. They could not aid the private 
agency. So Alameda had its own uh, electrical system, and so the PWA could help them. This are, these are various projects that were built, the Los Angeles storm drain system. They finished the Hetch Hetchy system. They raised O'Shaughnessy Dam. So your water, to some extent, is a P product of PWA. They built the Sacramento water system. This is one of the reservoirs in Sacramento. And the Caldecott Tunnel is a PWA project. The fans are, were so well built that, in fact, they're still in use. The engineers said, we occasionally have to replace a ball bearing, but, in fact, there's no need to replace them. They're so good. Um, we, of course, have... Um, and neglected our infrastructure so that it is now rated by the American Society of Civil Engineers to be D and dropping. And so if you don't pay your taxes, things do fall down. And much of it is things that were built during the New Deal. Fortunately, they built very, very well. And so the stuff was really built to last. But if you don't have taxes to run a state, in fact, you have to slash. And so I expect we'll see more of that kind of stuff, of the infrastructure failing. So I'm going to just give you a brief tour of some of the things from the New Deal that we take for granted that are all around us and we use all the time. The thing that has really impressed me is the commitment to public education in all of its manifestations, public libraries, public museums, and above all, public schools from kindergarten up to high higher education. There are literally thousands of New Deal schools built within 10 years, less than 10 years, around the country. Many of them have artworks and inscription either in or on them. This one is Berkeley High School. Uh, with the it's by Jock Schneer. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What a wonderful statement. The schools are always telling you that public education can make you better. And it should, of course, be free. Now, public education was fortunate in California in that the Southern California school system was wrecked six days after Roosevelt was inaugurated by a major earthquake and just in time for the WPA and the PWA to move in and rebuild and expand uh, and modernize the whole Southern California school system. But they didn't stop there. They built hundreds of schools throughout California seismically safe schools such as uh, Long Beach Polytechnic, which is just filled with New Deal art. And when you enter it, you go under a marquee, a copper marquee that says, enter to learn, go forth to serve. It's part of the ethos of the New Deal is we're all in this together and that public service um, is a noble thing. This is a San Francisco school. It might be attractive to some eyes. It was a wooden thing, but it was a fire trap. So they tore these uh, down and replaced them with modern new schools like Lawton School, George Washington. This was one of the largest school projects in the country. Hollywood High School, which has inscriptions on the walls in English, Latin, and Greek. This is one in, um, it's a middle school in Long Beach. And I'm just showing you the variety of different styles because we think of the New Deal as being centralized authority, but it wasn't. They delegated authority to the locals they, who chose the architects, etc. The main uh, constraint was that there had to be a resident engineer on site to make sure that the taxpayer was getting their money's worth. And so there's a, a, a remarkable dearth of the kind of graft you expect with great public works projects. This is uh, Sebastopol, uh, Ontario, California, Berkeley, and Piedmont Avenue School in Oakland. And this is up in Nevada City. And these schools, like so many of the New Deal buildings, are frequently beautifully built and detailed. Uh, this is that school that you just saw. 
And then teaching, they employed, as I said, tens of thousands of teachers and librarians, etc. Uh, they employed school nutritionists, and uh, they had this idea that starving children don't learn well, so they gave them nutritious, warm lunches. Um, this is an art class at Children's Hospital in San Francisco, art class for crippled children. There's a school over there. The photographs that I find of California, and particularly San Francisco, uh, seem to indicate that the schools were integrated at the lowest levels. I think there was this uh, the idea that, in fact, you could... Um, mitigate the racial problem uh, by a process of gradualism from the bottom up. But there also was adult education as well, too. Uh, this woman was 80 years old and learned to read, as did many, many Americans from WPA literacy projects. Many of our community colleges, it seems, either started or were enormously um, stimulated by the New Deal um, programs. San Bernardino, Pasadena, Sacramento. Uh, I just gave a talk uh, recently at Santa Rosa, which it turns out the entire campus was built by the Public Works Administration. Uh, City College here in San Francisco was largely a product of the uh, WPA and the PWA and has wonderful artwork all over it, largely uh, created at the Art in Action uh, project at the um, Treasure Island Fair, which is also PWA and WPA. And then there are these special schools for crippled children that we're beginning to discover. This one is in the Mission District, and it's a beautiful school with all of the features we now take for granted because of Americans with Disability Act, but it goes beyond that. It has wonderful tiles, stenciling, and everything. And this was not accidental because this was the Sunshine School. Um, the copy at the time said, we made the school as beautiful as possible to take the children's minds off their afflictions. So there was this aesthetic component. I found this school recently in Philadelphia, built at the same time by the PWA, also for crippled children. These schools had warm therapeutic pools for exercise. This might sound familiar to you if you know the history of President Roosevelt. As you probably know, he was paralyzed by polio uh, in the early 20s on the threshold of a very promising career. Many people thought he was finished, including for a while himself, but he came back. Um, and very few Americans during the time he was president ever understood just how severely disabled he was. Um, but it was through his experience in Warm Springs, Georgia, that I think he really learned compassion because he went there thinking that it would help him, and what he found is that he could help other people of different races and classes that he had never met before. And um, so this is what he used his inheritance on. He created the Warm Springs Foundation, which was dedicated to people with polio, and in fact, it led to the discovery of the polio vaccine through the March of Dimes. They revere him there. Uh, this is one person who reveres him, Susie, who was born with club feet and learned to walk at the Warm Springs Foundation, which is now dedicated uh, to people with um, spinal injuries and degenerative diseases, since we don't have to worry that much about polio anymore. These were men put to work um, repairing toys for poor children. Um, so you could go to a special WPA toy lending library and check out toys at that time. As I said, they didn't waste. So these are three themes that I've identified um, that were very important at the time. Beauty, permanence, and self-respect. How do you give people back self-respect when they have lost it? This is a Missouri miner's wife who went to the local CWA clinic. She got a perm and a nice new dress and doesn't look like a Dorothea Lange photograph in the aftershot anymore, but I'm sure she felt a lot better uh, than did the migrant mother. 
These are just staircases in New Deal buildings. They didn't have to look this way, but they do. Part of the idea is that I think that this is really a, um, an, an expression of the old arts and crafts movement, which Eleanor Roosevelt in particular was interested in, the idea that you build self-respect by building beautiful things, particularly things that other people, that the public, can use. This is a janitor at East Bakersfield High School who once he checked me out to make sure I was on the up and up while I was photographing the WPA High School at East Bakersfield said, come on in, I've got to show you something. And there was this beautiful wood inlay mosaic on the inside uh, showing Bakersfield past, present, and future. Our schools of that time are frequently art galleries, wonderful art galleries of art, which are, is now no longer public. Very difficult to do, uh, see this stuff anymore. Um, this is a, a marble mosaic at the uh, Alameda County Courthouse. Um, this is actually at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., which is WPA. Uh, this is in the San Francisco Zoo at the Mother's House, a mosaic by Helen Bruton. Um, and then there's the beautiful rock work. Uh, this is a, they didn't build porta potties. This is a restroom uh, in Yosemite built by the CCC. This is the, uh, the uh, bathhouse over at Lake Temescal Regional Park. Uh, these are things that we just discovered around the uh, county uh, fairgrounds. Uh, that's built by the CCC at, at above Phoenix. And we're always looking for the plaques, though we don't often find them. And then there's artwork, which celebrates people doing ordinary but absolutely indispensable stuff, like post office work. And this is up at Timberline Lodge. Uh, outside of Portland just showing workers. They were not used to seeing themselves portrayed in public work or to getting classes in labor journalism as over at Berkeley. And this, of course, would get people in trouble um, when congressmen found out that this was happening. And sometimes the art could get the artists in trouble, such as the Coit Tower murals where you actually see angry workers. Let's just look at a few of the different kinds of structures around California. This is the Cucamonga City Hall built by the WPA with the inscription, the noblest motive is the public good. The noblest motive is the public good. Imagine anybody saying that today. So the idea is that uh, this kind of work is a noble endeavor. County courthouses like this one in Alameda, San Luis Obispo, there are many more. City halls all over California in a variety of different styles, all of them beautifully built. This one is, is at Burbank. Um, it hasn't been touched. It's absolutely spectacular. Movies are shot there. Fire stations all over the place. And police stations and um, armories. Um, that's the uh, police stables out in Golden Gate Park that we visit every year during Labor Fest. And then public libraries. Here are two in San Francisco, the one at uh, Bernal Heights and the one at West Portal, uh, which has a WPA plaque on it, and then one at North Berkeley. Public hospitals, clinics, and TB sanitaria. Remember that as well as polio, people did get tuberculosis then, and they provided um, many clinics for these. This is one at Madeira. And remember that counties were really strapped for funds at that time. Uh, they couldn't afford public hospitals, and so the WPA and the PWA gave it to them. And children got health care for the first time. Adults did, too, as a matter of fact. We were headed for a national health care system, but it never happened. We treat things, again, differently now. Um, essentially, what we have of Medi-Cal is going to be slashed, too. 
than flood control. Um, as an environmentalist, I had problems with this, but it did make the concrete industry very healthy and happy to lay that much concrete uh, in Southern California, without which a, a good deal of Southern California would get washed into the Pacific every winter when we have an El Nino year. Um, and then the CCC and the WPA workers were trained for disaster relief and uh, recovery afterwards, so we didn't have to rely on the National Guard, and they were here at that time, by the way. Um, and so um, these kinds of things would not happen or be as frequent or disastrous as they are. This is a group of students from San Jose State um, who began a march saying that we, in fact, need a new WPA to rebuild the Gulf Coast. They're walking over WPA sidewalks next to the San Jose Municipal um, Auditor uh, Stadium, which is WPA. And this was a demonstration outside of one of Diane Feinstein and Dick Bloom's five or six houses uh, of people demanding that the public housing not be torn down in New Orleans because of the damage from the hurricane. Um, the New Deal moved in and gave uh, rural areas electricity and water. This is one up in Modoc County, where the uh, subscribers are actually the members of that co-op. And then we have cheap hydroelectric energy, largely because of New Deal projects. And then um, there were sustainable communities. People think that they're discovering this at this time. In fact, there were a number of experiments at that time. This one was down in Georgia, but there were at least 100 of these model towns uh, built so that people could be self-sufficient. Uh, this is one out in uh, Maryland, Greenbelt, just outside of Washington, D.C., where there's pedestrian separation. It's a model town where right on Roosevelt Plaza you have the New Deal Cafe, right across from the co-op. And then urban roads like these ones in Los Angeles, across the Los Angeles River. And here's O'Shaughnessy Boulevard being built by WPA workers. There's Miraloma Park and Mount Davidson up there. Uh, this is uh, Lake Merced Boulevard being built. It's all made out of sand so that you can imagine that when we have a quake, in fact, a lot of that's just going to slump. It's going to be spectacular. Um, and then these are the roads uh, built by the WPA up in the Oakland Hills, Snake, Redwood, Grizzly Peak, Skyline, um, which then enabled the developers to go up there and develop the hills. And then so many of our, our rural roads, in fact, are built by the CCC or the WPA, such as the roads that go through the coast range. The farmers don't realize, in fact, this was enab enabled them to get their stuff to the markets in all weather. This is a road through the coast range being built by the CCC. Um, this is a bridge being built across one of the rivers. Here is the coast road being built, Highway 1. And uh, you won't know except you look at the bridge abutments and you'll see dates like 1938, 1939 in that sans serif uh, type that's so familiar. Most of our airports are WPA. The airstrips are largely CCC out in the counties. There's San Francisco's two airports, the original one down in San Mateo and the one out on Treasure Island, Long Beach, Burbank. Harbor improvement, all of the harbors in California were improved. This is Oakland and the whole Beltline Railroad was redone by the WPA as was uh, Pier uh, 19 is a PWA project. And then our public spaces, especially our great amphitheaters, uh, are largely from that time. That was Woodminster. This is the uh, Santa Barbara Bowl, originally known as the Will Rogers Bowl. Um, this is the Forest Theater down in Carmel. And these are CCC workers in placing huge lichen-encrusted boulders uh, for a, an enormous amphitheater at the 2,000-foot level of Mount Tamalpais State Park, 
which they also improved. And here's 6,000 people getting ready to enjoy a performance of Oklahoma in that theater. Big Basin is a CCC project. And this one, just a bit further afield, on the East River, Lower East Side of New York, um, a project built where uh, people from the Lower East Side could see performances of musical comedies or Shakespeare, and still do. Our parks and recreation are almost all from that, it turns out. The lower two are my favorite part of Central Park. That's the Conservatory Garden up near Harlem, which is WPA in different seasons. I photographed it all the time. You can almost always tell it because there's beautiful rock work in it. This is up at Juilliard Park in Santa Rosa. But I thought I'd particularly show you San Francisco because I read in the WPA accomplishment report that they improved every single park in San Francisco. I couldn't believe this at first, but now I do. Um, so here's the fly casting pools out at um, Golden Gate Park built by the WPA. And here recently was an international fly casting uh, championship. This is the uh, model yacht club there. Here it is today. It's still in use. The stables out there, these are public stables, and they're meant so that the public would have the opportunity previously only available to the elites, as is so often the case, such as with golf, for example. Our public golf courses like Lincoln Park were built by the WPA and are meant to be public. Um, think of the um, experiences that people have had in these low-priced golf courses and the history which is embodied in them. Um, a little bit further afield, again, this is over in Oakland. This is Davies uh, Tennis Stadium. Um, this, it was built in an old quarry. And here it is with, um, this was a, a tournament for inner city youth, uh, introducing them to tennis. Archery out in Golden Gate Park. Our little playgrounds, like this one out in the Richmond District. Here it is in use today. This is Bernal Heights Park being built by the WPA with the road going up it. You can still see the gutters that they put in there. This is Buena Vista Park. This is Crocker Amazon Park with the uh, tennis courts down there. This is Glen Park, the recreation building there. This is Kizar Stadium being refurbished by the WPA. This is Mount Davidson. Always be on the lookout for that beautiful rock work that you see there. Uh, this is up on Telegraph Hill. Wonderful WPA rock work. Uh, this is Stern Grove. And this is a little known park down uh, above um, Candlestick. Um, this is Bayview Park. And there's wonderful rock work in Chert down there. And here's my friend Jake Sig standing by a wall down there. Um, they were doing some work down there restoring the, the park. Uh, this was Rossi Playground, which the WPA dug up the bodies from the Oddfellows Cemetery and turned it into a park that I used all the time when I was living in San Francisco. And then Sutro Heights was also restored by the WPA, although the, I believe that they tore down Sutro's house, which was unforgivable. And then the zoo is WPA and PWA. This is the aviary out there. And here's the uh, murals inside the mother's building. Um, the Marina Seawalls, WPA. And, of course, the Great Aquatic Park is WPA. The Palace of Fine Arts, we wouldn't have had it if the PWA hadn't come in and restored it at that time. And then a little further afield again, uh, Lake Merritt, uh, the, the, this pier, Woodminster Amphitheater in the Oakland Hills, Alvarado Park in Richmond, the Oakland Rose Garden, and then... Some of you may recognize this. 
the Berkeley Rose Garden. Did it have to be this beautiful? Well, yes, it apparently had to. And finally, I'm just going to wrap up with the federal art projects because San Francisco is wonderfully rich in the various kinds of federal art projects. It's not just all WPA. There's Treasury Section and various other ones, too. And we've got a fabulous selection of stuff here. There were four components to the federal art projects in the WPA. There were the visual arts, the federal theater project, the federal music project, and the Federal Writers Project. And they all had, they all employed many, many people, and the exhibitions here are terrific to show you some of the work that was done in San Francisco. But of course, the one that we best know is the Visual Arts Project. Um, and it was especially important in San Francisco because the influence of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo coming here and influencing the artists here, um, and to some extent radicalizing them. This is the Coit Tower murals, which many people think is WPA, but in fact was done under the CWA. You can see the date, 1933, uh, 1934. Um, the WPA wasn't in existence at that time. So this is um, the very first of the relief projects started with a strong art component. Um, Harry Hopkins said they have to eat too, don't they, when people said that the artists should be digging ditches like everybody else. Um, this is the Federal Music Project. There's Antonia Brico conducting the, one of the WPA symphonies. Millions of Americans got to hear live music and classical music for the first time, although every kind of music was played. This is the Federal Theater Project, which sent, sent theater companies out around the country. Uh, this is uh, Maxine Albro working on a beautiful mosaic, which has unfortunately been destroyed on the old State Teachers College campus. And one of my favorites over at Berkeley, uh, done by Helen Bruton and, um, um, let's see, Helen Bruton and I've forgotten the other woman, um, which is to remind us that when I was looking at all these projects, I was struck by how many were done by women, and I found that they employed 42% women uh, on the project. So they were trying for a certain gender equity, which is very unusual in the art world. And then, of course, in San Francisco, Benny Bufano was probably the most famous. Here is a statue in Chinatown of Sun Yat-sen. Uh, we have the first and the last of the New Deal art projects in San Francisco. Coit Tower is the first, and essentially the Rincon Annex Post Office is the last, done by Anton Refregier. And it is, I think, one of the best in the country. It's an extraordinary series of murals showing San Francisco's history as that of human civilization seen through the eyes of labor. It's working on a number of different levels. And it showed people things that they were not used to seeing in public spaces. Although these are things that actually happened in San Francisco's history, such as vigilantes and um, lynchings. And again, uh, Coit Tower... Um, it shows you the stock market dropping precipitously. Again, something people were not used to seeing in a public space. And it shows you a businessman being held up in a very prominent place, something the Chamber of Commerce probably wasn't too happy about. And in George Washington High School, Victor Arnatoff's mural showing the father of our country pointing the pioneers west as they walk over the body of a dead Indian. How did he get away with that? Um, most of the art is not controversial. This is uh, done by, um, this is actually at the post office in Susanville. Most of the art is sort of like this, or it celebrates local produce, etc. 
But some of it does get pretty edgy. This is one of the most extraordinary murals I've seen. Uh, it's down at a tuberculosis sanitarium outside of Los Angeles, done by Philip Gustin and Reuben Kadish, who also painted a mural in San Francisco. Finally, my favorite relief is on the outside of the Berkeley Community Theater. Uh, it shows people of all races brought together through the performing arts, the very promise of the WPA arts projects. Unfortunately, it was not to last. The war came along, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Anton Refregier um, had uh, planned his paintings in um, Rincon Annex before the war. He came back in 1946-47 to complete them and did so. They were very controversial. Actually, were tried in Washington in 1953. But um, he has a panel showing the arts and the sciences in San Francisco. And uh, there are figures on it, um, Luther Burbank, uh, Hubert Howe Bancroft, Mark Twain, Robert Louis Stevenson. But one figure is privileged. He's off to the side and up, and of course that's Jack London, because he was a socialist. But what's really interesting, and it took me years to figure this out, is that there's this thing on the side, and I was going, what is that? And then I realized that it says Federal Art Project, and it has its beginning and ending date. In fact, that is a wall which becomes a tombstone for the federal art projects. And the artists themselves are fading away. They're becoming ghosts. So um, that's what he's doing there. Uh, Joseph Danish, the head of the art projects in California, uh, interviewed at the end of his life, said it was such a wonderful time that he woke up every morning wondering how much longer it would last. He, he just couldn't believe the good fortune that they had, that they were being paid by the public to produce public art. Well, what happened, of course, is the war. The war came along, um, and Roosevelt could see it coming, and so very few people understand the New Deal segs into war preparation um, as it comes on. WPA starts doing scrap iron drives, and then it begins building bombers, freighters, and others on PWA, too. They beefed up the military bases like Fort Mason, etc., uh, WPA artists were put to work doing uh, propaganda. By 1943, they're all killed um, because, of course, the, new, the war did what the New Deal couldn't completely do, full employment. Unfortunately, none of them were revived afterwards. There, was, there were a few reports like this one on the WPA. It's filled with mind-numbing statistics. Um, it doesn't tell you where these things are, what they are. So, in fact, we have to rediscover that which is why this is like an archaeological dig and why we have to rely on other people to do it. The point being that these projects have immeasurably enriched the lives of millions of people without their ever knowing it. It does so to this day, all the time. Um, and I've become aware of it, but very few people are. I've also become aware of quite extraordinary people who are nearing the end of their lives, like Walter Atwood here, who is the president of the National Civilian Conservation Corps alums, the veterans. Um, here he was a dedication of a statue of Roosevelt near Warm Springs. And then Gertrude Goodrich here on the left, who uh, painted the murals in the Social Security Building with her husband, and um, Stetson Kennedy, um, who worked on the Federal Writers Project, and that is Roosevelt's granddaughter. They're one of them um, at a reception that we recently had at the Library of Congress. It's been a real privilege to meet these people. Um, just recently, I found this statue of Roosevelt. Uh, it's a very nice one. It overlooks Oslo Harbor. 
Um, and the reason for that is that in Norway and in the Scandinavian countries in general, they revere Roosevelt. And the reason for that is not only what he did during the war, but because of what they learned from the New Deal about how to build a civil society. Unlike us, they didn't get rid of it. They actually expanded it, which is why uh, the Scandinavian countries, although everybody complains about the taxes they pay, are, are consistently rated as among the happiest countries in the world. Because, in fact, the New Deal, I think, continues to live on there. So thank you. Thank you.